I know what it feels like to be totally out of touch with your body and to just kind of go through the motions of life. It sucks. When you finally feel what it's like to thrive, it's insane. It's it, you, you quite literally feel like you're an alien on earth. I think more people are starting to wake up, both patients and doctors, to the idea that there's more to health than medication. You should look at your lifestyle. You should look at your decisions. You should look at your thoughts. You should look at your relationships, your environment, how they influence your state, your, your, your well-being. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. All right, everyone, welcome back to Decentralized Radio. Today we have Andres on the line. How's it going, man? Thanks for joining. Yeah, it's going great. Thank you guys for having me here. Ryan, round two today, looking beautiful as ever. In you the know, cap. you Got know, I did shower blocks. yesterday. I, I tried to be, <laughs> I tried to be a little ready for today. It's been, you can tell, you can always tell when I've showered because the hair will poof out a little bit extra. But uh, you know, I'm excited. This will be a good conversation. This is like a month in the making here, so it'll be good. So you killed off some of those natural pheromones. Uh, you're not looking to go out tonight. <laughs> no, dude. I I actually went out. Funnily enough, I went out with my brother my girlfriend, and was there anyone else there? There might have been. Can't remember. I went out one night, and I don't drink, so I was just kind of there in the moment. Um, and I just, I have such a hard time staying up late. It's just tough. Oh, like, yeah. And I don't even get like the, uh, the, some. I feel like most people will hit a threshold where like they're out long enough that they hit an adrenaline rush, and they're like, they feel awake again, maybe around midnight. Not me, man. I was, I was dead. I was falling asleep at like every bar we went to. And, um, yeah, I'm not doing that one probably again for a while, but not too much of a night owl. Not too much of a night owl. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to do a lot of that back in high school. I feel like I got it out of my system pretty early on. Uh, mm. In fact, my, my mom took my fake ID picture when I was like 17. <laughs> they, wow. I had the most responsible parents Same ever. here, Trust man. My, my parents, Same here. My- <laughs> so wait, do those, do those work? I've like never heard of anybody actually having success with those. So in, in Miami, it's like, it's like basically like a high school, it's like a, second bar mitzvah i guess i mean i say second because i'm i am jewish and i did my bar mitzvah but it's like a ritual it's like by the time you turn 17 or 18 you better have your fake id or else you're not really you know (laughs) you haven't actually hit puberty yet um and so over here i mean the ids look fake but like it's just so common that and and nobody really gives a fuck you know they just like as long as you're paying and you know you're having fun or whatever you're you're not being an asshole uh Mm -hmm. you'll be fine by the yeah, way, sim- I love how on brand we all are. I, I just went for a quick jog with my dog, did some grounding on the beach before this. I always do that before every podcast. Uh, we've got Tristan with, uh, with the, the gym in the background. We've got Ryan with the blue blockers. This is very on brand. I love this. Well, the, mount, the, the, the mountain water right there. Uh, yeah. yeah. We yeah, don't mess around. <laughs> I, I strategically set up my office in my garage because it's like the only way you can get natural light in without, yep. you know, uh, windows or anything or just working outside is, is, is dope. And I do that at the park every day. But for a podcast set up and the, you know, multi- multiple screens, it's impossible not to. Red light. Yeah, no, it's yeah. a sweet setup. But I guess I'm curious. I You know, we talked about 
right then going out. I did the same in, in high school. I, I, I partied a lot, I guess, high school, college, and got out of my system for sure. It was a similar vibe. But I'm curious, kind of leading into that, because you went to school for kind of like, is it exercise and physiology or just physiology, but definitely more on the, the movement fitness side of things, right? Yeah. So I switched majors a bunch of times. Um, I was pre-med track. I did all my pre-med courses. So Calc 2, biochemistry, organic chemistry, all the labs, but I didn't end up pursuing medicine. And we can get into that uh, later, but um, I switched majors three times. So I was originally like pre-med undecided. So I was basically a bio major. Then I think I switched to uh, biomed for like a few months, but I hated it because I just, I suck at, phys- I'm great at math, but I suck at physics. Um, then I switched to, I was on the waiting list for neuroscience because there was like a hundred people cap. So I was basically a psych major, didn't want to be a psych major. Then I switched the fourth time to exercise physiology because it was taught, it, it really closely paralleled uh, uh, pre-med because we had an incredible professor that really saw exercise and lifestyle as medicine. So it was a really, really strong uh, connection there. And I was all about the lifestyle uh, medicine. So I started to pursue uh, exercise physiology as my major, did uh, psychology as a minor. I was um, able to start my master's while I was still an undergrad. So I was doing a master's in applied physiology with a concentration in nutrition for health and human performance. Um, So I was like one of two kids in like a class full of PhDs at one point for like a chronic disease prevention class, which is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I, I got a chance to do a lot of those credits. Eventually started a master's program. I was a graduate assistant, was on a fully funded research scholarship. I was fucking crushing it. And then of course I got crushed by COVID and the pandemic. And I wasn't able to complete that master's degree because the classes just weren't running. Um, I did get really, really far ahead, but didn't get the chance to complete it. And so between now and then, I've been getting uh, most of my education um, through my podcast, interacting with the world's best in the realms of health, high performance, nutrition, longevity. And now I'm actually about to start my master's in neuroscience uh, with the University of Florida. Um, yeah, so I'm always learning in and outside of school, love applying. And I think that um, you know, taking an end of one approach to health and wellness and then working with other people is an incredible way to learn. Anecdotal for sure, but you get to see the real world application of all this incredible science. And that's what I'm really all about. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's, awesome. that's, that's my yeah. background. I, yeah, I saw the neuroscience in, in your bio and I wasn't sure. I was like, is that new or is that um, brand something? New. Yeah. So that's what I thought. So th- that's really cool. And yeah, it's tough navigating academia, I'm sure. But it, it sounds like you kind of had this like you wanted to get into, I guess, health or medicine or, or some field from an early age. Was that was that installed by the way you're raised? You're always into kind yeah. of like working out, fitness. So um it had a lot more to do with how I was raised and then it had something to do with fitness. So uh, you know, my my parents are in the medical field. So my dad's an eye surgeon, my mom's a dentist, and they have since I as far back as I can remember. One of the main conversations in our dinner table every night when we finally got together, you know, they were working every single day. Almost all of our conversations revolved around their story that day of, you know, how they got to help someone and how they, how they got, how they helped someone get their vision back or how they helped somebody smile. Um, you know, they're both doctors um, in their own way, but it's, it's so interesting because they are the kind of doctors that really get to see, um, 
man, how do I put this? Like people like shedding their light, like, yeah, you can have a car. And I'm not shitting on any other doctor, but it's like a smile, like the eyes, you know, there's such particular um, areas. There's such intimate areas. And so I don't know, I think having a, having that kind of early exposure, um, seeing how rewarding it was to apply science to help others. And then also being a scientific, mathematical kind of guy myself, I naturally gravitated towards the medical field. Um, and uh, the more exposure that I got, the more I started to realize that there were certain values that I loved about it, like core values, helping other people, being selfless, being a healer, a provider. But then there were other things that I didn't agree with that resonated with my challenges at the time. So I was medicated almost my whole life for uh, attention deficit disorder. And I started to deal with some pretty nasty side effects. And as I started to do the shadowing for uh, uh, medical school, um, I started to see a pattern that I didn't like, which was that because the root cause wasn't ultimately addressed, these patients just kept coming back for the same procedure over and over and over and over. I'm talking like second or third liver transplants. Like it was, it was just, it was insane. And so I had gained a bit of an interest in neuroscience because I had early exposure through a, a high school program that I did at a university. Um, and that's where I learned about neuroplasticity, about being able to heal your body through lifestyle. I had access to the gym, the dining hall, social life. I wasn't on medication because it was summer break. So basically, it was the perfect storm of uh, this sort of appreciation for applied science to help others with my personal journey, with you know the perspective of, okay, I can actually help heal my you know root illness. And as such, I don't have to take all these medications that give me these nice side effects. I can actually help my body level up. And so I started to take the things that I love from my parents and from the medical field, but I started to go in the direction of disease prevention and lifestyle medicine. And uh, that's how things evolved. And of course, you know, uh, getting fit myself for the first time and, and really gaining muscle and feeling confident. Um, the way I like to put it, uh, genuinely, I mean, this on the surface level, this kind of, kind of sounds funny to say, but I, I genuinely believe this will happen. I was able to, through lifestyle change, bring my real genius to life. Because my whole life, at that to, to that point, I had been taking medication that helped me get by. And when you're a young guy, I mean, like you know, a lot of your identity has to do with how you do in school. Let's just let's face it. And so I knew that I depended on the substance to get by. I didn't think I was very smart. I didn't think I was very capable. And it wasn't until I was able to give my body what it needed to thrive that I realized what I really had inside of me and what I was genuinely capable of. And what I believe nowadays is that everybody under the right circumstances, has the ability to do that, to significantly boost their ability, their focus, their drive, their passion, their strength, their fitness. I mean, if you provide your body the right environment, the right tools, the right nutrition, um, and if you live a biologically consistent lifestyle, it's unbelievable the uh, potential that you can reveal and unleash. So that's what I'm all about today. Man, that's freaking powerful. I'm glad. I'm glad we have someone on the podcast that's a powerful speaker because it's super engaging. <laughs> like, I'm not falling asleep. I'm not like, oh shoot, got to remember. I got to, got to, got to do a question now. Oh got to do a question. No, that's that's great. <laughs> and it's really interesting you bring I up ADHD. And so I've been hanging out with um. This is sort of an aside, but I find it kind of interesting because of of your past history dealing with your own sort of illness, which is pretty common in in our space. Like pretty much everyone that's gotten to where they are now, like had a lot of these struggles. Uh, maybe a little bit different, but a lot of them 
had a lot of the same kind of root cause issues in sort of the way we live our lives in modern society. What I find interesting is specifically to ADHD and stuff, I've been hanging around with, um, with my girlfriend's family quite a bit over the last several days. And, you know, they're a little bit older, kind of like middle, kind of group generational, everyone's together kind of hanging out. And everyone's sort of like these conversations, like a lot of them are revolving around like these medications that they're on or like, oh my, and they're, and they're complaining about the system while actively engaging in being dependent on the system. So it's really fascinating. And I'm actually quite impressed by how knowledgeable the everyday person is. Um, this is a small scope, but uh, of the medication they take. They say, oh no, you don't want to be on that one. You want to be on this one, X, Y, Z. Um, but none of them really understand like the paradigm outside of what it would be like to not need a medication to thrive because all of them are on these meds for some sort of ailment, whether it's mental health or otherwise, and they're still not thriving. So that's kind of where I was at a couple of years ago. I mean, I had a bunch of other stuff going on, but I was somebody like you who I actually had undiagnosed ADHD for pretty much until like a couple of years ago. And so I just had these patterns that I, I just didn't know why I couldn't like, I was always bouncing around and could never figure out like why my mind could never hyper-focus unless it was something I actually gave a shit about. And when and I actually never really knew how prevalent that issue was until I started talking to my mom this last year. My mom's a first grade teacher and she was saying, I've never seen so many kids with ADHD diagnoses on Adderall at freaking six, seven years old their entire life. And so we live in a society, as you know, that's just like over-medicated, undernourished in more ways than just food. Um, and so it's really cool that you've gone through this journey and now sort of trying to give back on top of that and really instill people's own ability to make themselves the best version of themselves w without having to maybe go through um, something to lean on per se, because I think that's all within us and the resources are there if you're willing to educate yourself. And uh, that's why I think it's cool to have you on the show because I think you'll be a great resource um, for people to at least at the very minimum feel motivated to like start taking action on your life. But you've done a bunch of stuff outside of just get better and now help other people. What really has been like has was was that was seeing people sick in the in in the workspace what really drove you to like aspire to to be the best version of you to then give back to them and like what has driven like all the stuff you've done online? Because I found I'm I'm sort of like you were. I've actually found the best way to learn necessarily wasn't in necessarily in the classroom, but it was like having these conversations with people and talking to people that know more than you do. And so I'd love to like hear your experience, like doing that sort of work and like podcasting and having these conversations and sort of like the enlightenment you felt with that. Yeah, man. So I'll tell you what, first and foremost, thank you for the recognition. Thank you for the kind words. And, and, um, I think the conversation that you mentioned alone with, uh, you know, how, how normal it is to be medicated and, uh, and, and look, none of us are doctors. There's always room for that. I think it makes sense in certain cases. And I think you know, none of this is not medical advice, but uh, it's insane to see how quickly people will gravitate towards medicine, how they'll just completely neglect any root cause or anything in their life. And, you know, there's like, there's, there's all these, these levers that we can pull these, these physiological levers that we can pull to get our body to return back to its, its roots. And it's a shame that uh, these medications, these drugs are just so readily accessible, but the knowledge of our body isn't. I think that's a crime. 
Um, anyway, uh, what, what drives me to have these conversations, honestly, man, one of the biggest things that drives me, I mean, obviously the, the, the mission to help other people get their hands on the substance that I wish I had my hands on earlier, that's one. Like every time I have a conversation, I hope that, because I've, I've, I've had this, I've had a similar conversation like this one many times. Obviously, this is a new perspective, new questions, new dynamic, but it's like, it's, it isn't until you say it a certain way that it really clicks for someone. And every time I have a conversation, I hope that I can uh, provide at least one of these gold nuggets of wisdom. It can be a phrase, it can be a word, it can be the way that I say something, the way that you guys ask me something that'll motivate someone to be curious about their body, about their health, and to want to learn more. And so the trajectory that I've seen in my personal professional life through podcasting has been just absolutely incredible. And I think it's because so many people are gaining value from these conversations. And on top of that, you know, public speaking, I mean, even though this isn't necessarily public, but having conversations with people that were older, wiser, I have always been so afraid to do that. And so it's been like an incredible personal growth journey. And at the same time, a growth journey for anybody tuning in. Um, And that is just the most beautiful thing. Um, And, you know, now I'm actually looking forward to taking the next step towards something that I'm afraid of, which is public speaking, like getting on stage um, it's, it, it, it actually, it fires me up to say that, but at the same time, it, it like terrifies me, but like in a good way, um, because I see so much growth now in that discomfort. And, um, to that point, I think a lot of people maybe get uncomfortable when you tell them, Hey, you know what? There's an answer to getting yourself healthier, to feeling better. That isn't medication. That isn't your Adderall, you know? that isn't pills, it's information. And that may feel uncomfortable because it's the norm, right? To just reach for this and get that instant gratification that you think is helping you, but is destroying you in the long term. Um, I think it's time to learn, man. And I hope that these conversations help inspire people to do that. Hey friend, thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's the same mindset for us. It's, it's so valuable to speak. It's so valuable to have these connections. Um, we, you know, we do as many in person as we can. Obviously, it's a bit challenging, especially when I live in Wyoming. But, you know, just meeting people and getting their knowledge, sharing that knowledge and spreading it out. Um, to your audience is, is profound and it can have a profound impact on someone's life. And, and that's why we're doing what we're doing here. And it's, it's awesome, especially, you know, we're, you know, young, young man, like similar age where it can be a challenge and we're trying to break through to this space and it's, it's awesome. And I, I love your mindset and pumping people up in general and in your group chats on social media. It's definitely the way. Yeah the camaraderie, it can be hard in these spaces, right? Because, you know, you kind of get isolated when you first dive into holistic health or alternative health, whatever you want to call it. You kind of have to take this big jump. And most of your friends you went to high school with, we were talking about high school life earlier, you know, they're not going to be on the same page here. Like they think you're nuts. Your family thinks you're (laughs) nuts. Um, So it is lonely. So it's awesome to kind of get a little community going. And going oh, back yeah. to the ADHD thing, um, you know, Ryan, you're calling it a little, you're calling it an issue. I, I would even debate that it's not even an issue. It's just the, the modern lifestyle. Yeah. 
So I've it's crazy for me because actually in the past six months, I've realized that I for sure have whatever you want to call it, that issue, because I just like need to move, like especially in the summertime, I've noticed. And I've got more sun deliberately this summer than ever before. And in the summertime, I just have this do mentality. Like I want to move. I want to physically do things. And I think as a, as a male, obviously, that would be very indicative of kind of like ancestrally what we would be doing. And maybe yeah. a winter is, is more slow and more creative. And, and there's actually neural pathways um, that some people talk about. There's, you know, more dopamine created or back cycled from melanin like in the winter, which is fascinating. But I'm curious uh, and my family and girlfriend have visited and, and told me that they're like, you need to go run around or something. You're a little stir crazy. I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> but I'm yeah. curious, Andreas, if that's your perspective, too, and kind of how you see that you know, fit into the modern lifestyle and do you use, you know, exercise, challenging exercise and high performance to kind of physically, yeah. um, to quench that? Yeah. I mean, I would say that exercise and, and we can dive into all these in depth, but exercise, uh, the right nutrition, good sleep, fasting, uh, and cold exposure have been really good at sensitizing my dopamine centers. Um, and by the way, I think Ryan, I want to give Ryan credit here because he did say that he thinks he has ADD and he, he noticed that he hyper-focuses on things that he really gives a fuck about. That's verbatim. Well, what's, what, what's but, funny about that, just side note, is that I, I w- all these things were told to me. I never like asked for diagnosis. And so for me, it's yeah. like one of those things where it's like, I really hate adding the labels and stuff, but sometimes I don't know how to describe yeah. it. But yeah, it's, it's funny because it's, that's a whole nother topic. I'll let you continue there. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just say like, I, I have, I recognize looking back that throughout my whole life, when it came to anything that I genuinely cared about and, and the school environment for me was never, ever, ever ideal for learning ever, or, or just anything. It wasn't ideal for anything, but, um, and I knew that. <laughs> so, so I made my education happen outside of school. Um, and whenever it came to the things that I was genuinely interested in, which at the time and to this day, they still are, you know, uh, fishing, uh, video games, um, like anything that I was even remotely interested in, I would just absolutely master like some kind of savant. Like it was just, it was so messed up. Um, and I realized, look, I, I naturally have this hyper-focus, like, let me try to channel this in, in a way that can actually, you know, in, in a more selfless way. Because fishing and video games is a very, is a very selfless. It's pretty selfish, but it, but still fun nonetheless. Anyway, so I um, I started to get interested in the things that actually upregulated my dopamine. Uh, and I guess you, that's a, like a funny thing there, right? Like the things that I was interested in actually gave me more dopamine naturally, and they can give anyone. They can help just about anyone sensitize their dopamine centers. Um, so yeah, exercise. Like the reason why I'm sweating right now, and I got to movement before this episode is because I had spent the whole day sitting inside just kind of doing work that I hadn't cut up on over the weekend. And I just had to move my body or else I'm telling you guys, I wouldn't be the same person that you guys see on camera. I'm just, I just would not be in this mood. I wouldn't be in this flow. It just wouldn't happen. So it feels great. Um, really, really good for the dopamine centers. Um, fasting has helped me a lot. The, you know, 
going from a fed state to a, a, a fasted state. So from a glucose, you know, when you get that glucose to ketone switch, it's called intermittent metabolic switching. You start to see upregulation of uh, BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor for neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, synaptogenesis, and uh, CREB, um, which is really good for long-term memory. And so uh, that was re- that's I feel I genuinely feel the 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 influence of that happening as I fast regularly. Now nowadays it's more intuitive. And by the way, for the women that are listening, get to know your female biorhythm. Don't fast like a man. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, obviously the right nutrition. So I know I know now that gluten, for example, is a huge trigger food of mine. Um, and when I have gluten, I feel tremendous brain fog. I get a little anxious. Uh, it just doesn't work. And I'm not, I don't have celiac. I have a, a genetic predisposition for it, but it's not active. I am. Um, so, you know, my whole life I had gluten and I wonder sometimes what would my life have been like if I didn't have any gluten growing up? You know, my parents always, you know, gave us access. We always had access to healthy food. My parents are, are doctors. They, they don't know any better than to give us, you know, whatever, to just get ready to go to school. You know, and they weren't monitoring what I'm eating in school. When I was actually on the meds, I was surviving off of like and sure shakes, which are trash. Like I didn't have the appetite for anything else. So anyway, um, you know, whole food, nutrient, uh, nutrient dense foods, sleep. I was jacked up on amphetamines, didn't get sleep. So the, the theme here is I start to add back in all the things that I had basically turned down because I was jacked up on amphetamines. And isn't that like a, that's, that's such a particular thing, right? Um, uh, and uh, yeah, my brain started to do things that I never thought it could. I started to accomplish things that I never knew or never could never imagine were possible. And it all goes down to, well, I gave my brain what it needed to naturally get its dopamine into. And I just continued to narrow down that focus. And I got more of that positive reinforcement as it became more sensitive to it. And it just became, as you can tell, an obsession. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm here to tell a tale. And I'd say, I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, you asked me about my credibility early on in this episode. I would say where I'm most credible, and this comes from the heart, is that because I went through that journey, like maybe I have the knowledge and I'm always looking for more knowledge, but because I went through that journey, I can genuinely empathize with the folks that want to get there. Like when I work with my clients, I don't just tell them, oh, look, here's your data. Here's your blood. I'm going to you know, look at it with my medical board and we're going to determine like, okay, yeah, like logically that makes sense, but I really can feel for them. I could put myself in their shoes because I have been there. I was there for over a decade of my life. So I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be totally out of touch with your body and to just kind of go through the motions of life and cross your fingers and hope for the best. Like it sucks. When you finally feel what it's like to thrive, it's insane. It's it, you. You quite literally feel like you're an alien on Earth, um, and I think everyone deserves to experience that at least once. And I, trust me, if you experience it once, you're going to want to feel like that every single day of your life. Period. So let's do whatever it takes to get you there. No, that's. I mean, that's. I mean, I. I couldn't have actually said it any better. It's. It's really interesting too because it's like it's. It's sort of like a retrospective. Once you get or once you see a lot of progress and you look back and you're sort of like, oh man, if I had known when I was X amount of years old, if, if I had known this one concept, my life would have been like completely different. But at the same time, it's like, um, and this is something I've actually had a really, really difficult time with as I've started doing, I've really started doing a lot of the mindset work with like, um, 
been doing EMDR with my therapist and like all this sort of like uh, trying to un- unseat rooted traumas. I think were a lot of triggers for a lot of the susceptibilities that came to be for me in my late teens. It's really, you, you have to be like, okay with the fact that you weren't okay at a point in earlier time. And then sort of, because in that you never would have turned out the way you did. You would have never discovered like half the things you've learned if you didn't go through all that shit. Right. So I've actually become, I've actually become very grateful for like all the struggles I've had to go through. Like for me, like a little background, my story, like everyone already knows this. I won't stay on very long, but I had anorexia when I was 18 for like uh, about two years, I was like 80 pounds or something. And like that destroyed a bunch of stuff, but I really beat myself up for a long time because of that. I was like, ah, oh, man, if, if I didn't have, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be dealing with like that problem now that I got to work on and this problem. But at the same time, I probably would have never ventured into any of this alt health stuff or, or any, or met any of you guys had I not gone through those years of my life. So I've actually become thankful for those. And I was even telling my girlfriend the other day, I was like, you know, I actually wouldn't go back and change anything even though yeah. I'm, I deal with some stuff now that I'm still working on. Cause like the, the amount of knowledge that I have now at 27 is invaluable. I would never would yeah. have been, and I still have lots to learn. Don't get me wrong. I'm hardly wise, but I, I would be so much further back. Um, yeah. probably would have gone been in a desk job right now. I'd probably be, probably be still at work till about six, come home, probably hate my life. Um, and that'd probably be like my day. So you sort of have to be happy for the experiences you've had. And, and like you said, what's really cool about going through that and then working with people, and I've had this experience working with people myself, is you can meet them on their level, which is really what they want and what they can't get out of the centralized like medical system usually. Because the doctor usually can't necessarily relate to the patient dealing with a struggle, especially if you're going to like a GP or something like that. They see so many people. Um, and usually they've never had all the ailments, obviously, that their pa- patients deal with. So it's it's almost impossible for them to no fault of their own to meet them on their level when they got to see another patient in 30 minutes. So yeah. it's really valuable on this end to have had those instances and you can really get that one-on-one with somebody and it's a really cool experience. I think it's something that you can only ever really feel if like yourself have worked with somebody else that has been through what you've gone through on some level. It's really cool. I'm sure you've felt that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, if, you know, we all, the three of us have a hero's journey, right. That we can tell now and reflect back on deeply. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like if I had, if I hadn't done this or gone through this experience, um, I was, and, and by the way, you know, I, I, I got to the point where I was really fed up and it was, it was super ugly. It was, I was, I was, I got really depressed, really sick. Like it was a very dark period of my life when I finally decided to just flip the switch. Very, very, very dark period. But I honestly believe that if I hadn't gone through that and if I had stuck through and become a doctor, dude, I honestly, and this, call it controversial, call it whatever. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm just going to say it. I think I would have like, I don't think it would have ended well (laughs) at all. Like I, I, I don't think I would have helped anybody because I didn't know, I wouldn't have known how to help myself. And if I was just giving out drugs and, you know, whatever, because the system or insurance or whatever, like I, I don't think I would have done a good job. I don't think I would have been happy. Um, and I'm, I'm holding back on uglier things that I can say, but, um, yeah, I, 
I admire everyone in the medical field who does that. And I have, and I work with people now that are doctors who have a mindset that is unbelievable and they bring in functional and integrative and all that. And I'm not shitting on the doctors who don't, but I believe for me personally, with my history, my health, what I went through, what I saw, it would have gone against everything that I believed in. And I would have been very unhappy. Um, yeah, I was going to say something else, but. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think it's important to look back at that because it's, well, first off, everything happens for a reason and we all kind of embody that, right? Like we've gone through struggles and it's kind of the inflection point of our lives and it had to do with health and we were meant to go deeper into the health rabbit hole and learn about it and then share that knowledge with others um, because obviously your body was telling you innately that that was not the path for you, right? So you can look back and realize that, but in the moment, yeah, it's, that's scary and you don't know where um, your life's going to head. So it, it's really powerful, that kind of mindset. But, but I'm curious, tying this into, you know, your parents are, I guess, maybe traditional doctors and you're working with doctors and you're talking about the issues with centralized healthcare, you know, where and what, what are the principles of, of what you do today? And, and what are your thoughts on, I guess, the system? as a whole, the healthcare system, do you see a shift? You're mentioning, you know, more integrative functional measures. Do you see a positive shift occurring? And how do you see this kind of playing out in terms of progression going forward? That's a great question, man. It's, and it's a, a loaded question, but what I'll start with is, um, I totally, absolutely see, uh, what do you want to call it? Western medicine or standard medicine, um, modern medicine. I see, I see that, that, that we're always going to need that. I will always value that. It's, 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 it's critical. We need to have that. Um, I think more people are starting to wake up both patients and doctors to the idea that there's more to health than medication. And then in fact, you should look at your lifestyle. You should look at your decisions. You should look at your thoughts. You should look at your relationships, your environment, and how they influence uh, your state, your 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 well being, um, and uh, the, as far as the the principles that I tie in, I mean, you guys know that I'm really in on the lifestyle medicine. I think that because we live in such a modern world, we have to make the effort, which otherwise we wouldn't have to make. But in this modern world, we have to make the effort to return to a uh, biologically consistent lifestyle. So what that means is, you know, what happens when the sun goes down nowadays and in nature, when the sun goes down and it intersects more of the atmosphere and as such, we filter more blue light. It gets, you know, the sky gets red and we start to accumulate melatonin. Nowadays, sun goes down, we turn on the lights, we go on our phones. So we're not accumulating melatonin. Melatonin. So we don't have that one third of our life sleep that makes it two thirds the best that it can be. Um, that's, that's one example you know, we're not moving our body. So our body becomes inflamed. They become slow. It becomes uh, tired, sick. Uh, you know, we start to lose muscle, gain fat. Uh, I mean, there's XYZ example. You know, there's so many different examples. I'm, I'm all about returning to the lifestyle that's, that's biologically consistent in the modern day. So some people call that biohacking. Some people call it integrative health. I just think it's knowing your physiology, which is the name of my brand. I think if you know your physiology, you'll know what you need to do to pull those 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 levers and and unleash your 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 body. 
body's potential. Um, and uh, look, I'll tell you what, the doctors that I work with nowadays, they, they get it. They have always been selfless people. They went into medicine for what I believe are the right reasons. They really did it to help others. And they are willing to learn and do whatever it takes to get people the help that they need. So I've worked with doctors that, you know, what they say and what they do, that's just how it is. And then I've worked with doctors that are very open-minded and they collaborate with other specialists to give their patients access to all kinds of medicine from the Western modern medicine to psychedelic medicine, to lifestyle medicine, to nutrition and functional medicine, you name it, to yoga and mindfulness, everything. And those are the doctors that I like to work with. Nothing wrong with the rest, but that's what I believe and that's what I like to work with. Um, so I, like I said, I do see people waking up to this. I see the medical field transforming, but again, with every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I'm sure there's people that are now further away from holistic health now more than ever before, right? So we're in a space where we love what we do. We believe in what we do. Um, like you said, in the beginning, when you're first getting into this field, it may feel isolated. You may feel isolated from your, from your people that you grew up with. Um, but all of a sudden, you start to find this community of people that believe and do the same or similar things. And I think that that's true for... Um, a lot of the medical medical field as well. You know, a lot of these doctors that were traditional doctors and started moving the direction of more integrative medicine. Maybe in the beginning they were more isolated, but now I definitely see uh, this sort of coming together. I see social media as being a, a platform that facilitates that movement in, uh, to a certain degree. However, I think that one of the biggest threats to this movement is that on social media, everyone's so busy calling everybody else out. Um, that's a whole other thing to, that we can talk about, but. Um, I think it's always going to come down to collaboration, to showing the, to educating the patient or the client and helping them harness the intuition so that the doctor isn't necessarily like a dictator, but like a leader in their health journey that gives them access to all the tools that they need. So I hope that that was a way, <laughs> the, the, I hope that that was a good answer to your question in a way that really encapsulates everything that I believe. I thought that was pretty good. I mean, in, in my mind, it's it's sort of, and this is just sort of the consensus I've come to um, on my own as well as talking to other people is that no matter what, you it, the, the effort to change the system, which I don't think will ever be changed in the way that I would like, is going to need to be a patient-led effort because it's just, I mean, it's just the way it is. Like I, I, I have conversations like this with people that just messaged me on Instagram. And they're like, Oh, I got this thing. Like, what do I do about this thing? Like what doctor do I see? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, I mean, you may need to see somebody or, or whatever, but you're, at the, you're still going to do like probably 90% of the heavy lifting, like on your own to try and figure that out. And there's almost no way around that. Like you, I've learned from lots of different mentors and gurus or whatever you want to call them online. I kind of want to get into the infighting because that sounds fun. But, um, but, uh, but a lot, most of what I've learned, I had to seek out myself and like, it's about being innately curious. And I feel like just people, you're either curious or you're not, you're either driven to curiosity through pain and suffering, or you're innately that way, or you're somebody that doesn't want to deal with that. And so you accept what you think is inevitable, which is like lifetime of polypharmacy, multiple medications, like all this stuff. You kind of go either way, you kind of meet a fork in the road. And I think everyone gets there at some point in life. Um, some find it sooner than other people. 
they reach that fork. But what I think is bright is that, yeah, like I've spoken to a lot of doctors in the space, particularly uh, younger doctors, but even some older ones that, that as long as they're not set in their ways per se, seem to be pretty open-minded to always learning, always taking in new information. I think on a higher level, what would be great for practitioners in a conventional setting would be being more open-minded to things that don't necessarily come out of um, a peer-reviewed thousand placebo-blinded study or whatever, and just like look at logical things. I feel like we we don't I feel like there's so much like logical stuff just like happening in the medical space that it would behoove people to just like use common sense and not just like you know listen to like what big pharma is trying to sell a drug for. Um, but, but it's super nuanced. So it's like, there's not black and white. And what I want to get to is like within the community itself, I see the same problems in the functional health space, which I even, I actually don't even like that term anymore, but the same problems happen in the functional health space, but it's just usually with like supplements and weird, all these protocols and all these different diets and stuff. And then you get the same issue where it's like people are now in camps within the health space where they're anti- whatever, uh, allopathic medicine, but they're like super stuck in their ways of like, this is the only way health can thrive is like, you gotta be vegan or whatever. You gotta get into the diet camps. And even within that, there's a myopic perspective that I think people would be good to like look outside of themselves for a little bit. But I think that's just sort of the nature of being human is you find sort of tribes and you sort of settle in that. And then you find out that something doesn't work exactly like you were told it was going to work. And then you're like, Oh, your mind's open again. And you look for other stuff. So I sort of love your, your opinions on like, how do you remain open-minded to new concepts and ideas and not get into that path of like, like getting stuck again, because I find that that's a very easy thing to do for people um, on, on the way. Cause I'm, I'm one of those people where like, I've never accepted that anything has to be inherently that way for sure. I'm always open to being wrong. And I think that that's something that the community in general needs more of. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. I'll tell you what, I will, you you asked a great question, and before I get into my complete answer, I'll share with you two nuggets of wisdom that my professor, my, my biggest inspiration a uh, professor from the University of Miami shared with me many years ago. Um, the first one is that just because evidence is lacking doesn't mean that something is lacking in evidence. So what that means is just because we don't have proof that something works doesn't mean that it doesn't work. You know, we don't yet have the proof doesn't mean that it doesn't work. And then the second thing is every good scientist is skeptical. I identify as a scientist. I like to test things. And here's the real question is, well, what's testing? Because sometimes my testing is intuition. If something intuitively doesn't agree with me, but like theoretically or or logically or systematic review, whatever, 
says it does, well, then who's right and who's wrong? Um, because systematic reviews, they look at a general consensus out of thousands of people and maybe hundreds of studies, but that's not me, right? So um, I think that, man, there is no perfect answer to this question. At least not that I have one. I don't have a perfect answer to the question. I would it's say- It's open-ended. Yeah, I would say that the tribe that I like to surround myself with, and maybe I'll regret saying this five years from now, I like to surround myself with people that question, but aren't necessarily conspiracy theorists, just people that ask questions, people that are curious. That's what I like to surround myself with. If you're curious, then whether whether something's right or wrong, you're still going to ask why. And I think that question of asking why, that's my biggest question, that's my number one question, will eventually lead me to either some mechanism of action or some kind of intuition. And that typically is enough for me to feel good about the decision that I'm making. Um, and look, I am sure that five to 10 years from now, I'll reflect back on some of the things that I do nowadays, and maybe I will regret it. But I know that I am still going to test whether it's the reviews or my own intuition to figure out what's right for me. And hopefully one day I'll have the perfect answer to your question. But for now, asking why is good enough for me. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I think we align like pretty well um, in mindset is because that's really what it comes down to. And the more you learn, the more you realize that we don't know. And yeah, the more you look at studies, the more you realize that more and more are very questionable, but they have nuggets of information that can be extremely valuable for you to put together your hypothesis for what's most optimal for your environment. But I mean, let's be real. And that's why I love that you're saying, you know, you're testing or you're, you're collecting N of one data. And Ryan and I were talking earlier today about that. Like, I'm going to do some, you know, experimental lab tests, compare summer versus winter and, you know, completely just embrace seasonality, which is pretty profound up here in Wyoming compared to where you are in Miami and get it out there. Because guess what? There's no, there's no information for healthy 20 something year old men like us who are really embracing like a seasonal, uh, ancestral, whatever you want to call it, you call it biologically consistent. I really like that because that's not putting you in any camp and it is biologically unique, right? Um, we're totally different um, genetic background, geography, where we live. So it is going to be different and we shouldn't do the same thing. I mean, maybe part of the year, uh, maybe like, you know, obviously value sleep movement, things like that. But I think that's what what's really important but it doesn't fit well with the narrative of anyone's mindset because people just want to be told what to do and what's like an easy thing. And that's why you see people go from vegan, strict veganism to strict carnivore because they're like, all right, this is just like really simple and I can just do this and I'll be healthy. And then, you know, depending where they live, what their activity level is, you know, they might not be healthy uh, for that long. So I'm curious what are your like principles of or pillars of health just at a high level? Like what, what's like a day in the life for you and, and how do you balance that biologically consistent living and the modern lifestyle? Because to me, that's like the biggest challenge. Obviously we can't just go back to living in the woods. Although I might, if things really hit the fan, you're but, getting pretty close, you know, <laughs> but seriously, it's, it's the biggest struggle and you know, we want to, continue to progress as a society. So I'm curious how your mindset has evolved around this. And, you know, are there things 
now that you value more than maybe two years ago, like, um, for example? Yeah, great, great question and great preface to it. And I will say that, uh, you know, over the years, I've been exposed to a lot, especially because I've been, uh, I do a lot of work on social media. And so I see all these trends come and go and influencers come and go. Uh, I've been doing this. I've been on social media now for like five or six years. And that's not the ideal place to learn anything, but you get to see how people think and how their ways of thinking evolve. And so I think it's a way to, I think it's like, a, yeah, you get a lot of exposure, to a lot of different ideas. Um, I would say that right now, my biggest foundations are the following, and they are, they are in, in, in order in terms of, uh, I guess you can call them, um, not necessarily priority, but I'll just lay them out for you. You guys can help me find the best word. So number one is sleep. I'm very, very big on on sleep. I think that everybody tuning in right now can sleep at least 10% better, more efficiently, waking up less throughout the night, feeling refreshed, recovered in the mornings, ready for the day. I think everybody can improve their sleep. And if you think about it, it's one third of our life. Like if your life expectancy is 75 years, that's 25 years of sleep. And I mentioned this earlier, you know, it's that one third of your life that makes the rest better. If you get the sleep right, like while you sleep, you are, here, excuse my dog, one sec. You are, just, just give me a sec, guys. So, so sleep is the best opportunity that you have for your body to orchestrate a series of biological processes that help you repair, remember, refine, recover. Uh, and it does this intelligently. Like you're giving your body the opportunity to orchestrate functions that it intelligently, that it, that, that, that it has the wisdom to do. So if you can improve that recovery process, you're improving automatically your, your quality of life. And when you have an improved quality of life, when you have a regulated nervous system, uh, when you feel refreshed, recovered, energized, automatically, all these other pillars that I'm about to mention, they're so much easier to accomplish and to do right. So for example, the next, the next pillar is nutrition. If you're sleeping better. You have a regulated nervous system. You're going to make better de- uh, decisions about what you eat. And you're probably going to consume less calories throughout the day because you're not going to be eating from an emotionally driven, you know, hyper like stress, chronic stress state. Right, you're going to be pretty intuitive. You're going to be a little more mindful about what you're eating. You're going to chew a little more slowly, increasing the surface area of food. You're going to opt for foods that are actually nutrient dense rather than the foods that appear that trick your mind, exploit the reward mechanisms of your brain to give you the impression that they're more nutrient dense. So, like colored foods, processed foods, highly palpable foods. Like your brain will choose that instant gratification when it's under this stress state and it just wants something, right? It's so, so you're bringing more consciousness and awareness automatically to your life, more energy to your life. So, so all of a sudden, nutrition is better. So, sleep and nutrition, great. Now you have the fuel and you have the energy, and you're in the state of mind where it's a lot easier to move your body. So, movement is the next pillar, right? Um, and all of a sudden, you can you know you can go hard, you can recover from it, you can feel your body to go hard, and you can get into that hormetic state where your body becomes stronger, faster, fitter, etc. And then if you got your sleep right, you got your nutrition right, you got your movement right, your mind is going to be in a pretty good place. So like, if you take care of those three things, your mind is going to be awesome. You're going to feel great. You're going to be happy. You're going to have more 
sensitive dopamine centers, more serotonin, you're going to feel great. Um, and so obviously, you know, there's certain uh, things in each one. Of the, the bulk of each of these pillars, if you think about it, you can do a lot in this modern day that gives you what you would have otherwise gotten in ancient times. So if you look at sleep, you know, all right, what are the three best things that I believe you can do? Make your environment as dark as possible earlier in the day, you know, try to match it to uh, uh, sun exposure and whatever the sun's doing, wherever you are in the world, making it uh, cool. So as the sun goes down, less heat, cooler, a decline in your core body temperature is actually what drive, what actually initiates sleep. So yeah, melatonin um, uh, accumulation gets you sleepy. Um, there's a bunch of other things that drive the need for sleep, but what actually initiates sleep is a decline in your core body temperature. So it's another thing. Um, and then what can you do to sort of biohack this, right? Where wearing blue blockers helps, uh, not using your phone in bed because you're not supposed to get that kind of effect in bed. And also not just using the phone, but bringing any kind of responsibility into the sleep environment is going to put you in a more sympathetic state. It's going to take away from the drive for sleep. Um, and nutrition, right? Like if you're eating, if you're eating organic foods, whole foods, like that is biologically consistent. No matter what you're eating, whether you're vegan or carnivore, whole food, you're going to be better, period. You're going to be more satiated. You're going to have a higher thermic effect. Food's going to have a higher thermic effect. So you're burning more calories digesting the food, which contributes to your resting energy expenditure. So you're less likely to overconsume calories. Um, for movement, if you got those two things, those two pillars out of the way, you will move more, period. You're going to move more. You're going to walk more. You're going to feel more motivated to take the bike to work rather than the, I don't know, the Uber. Um, there's so many other examples, right? And then your mind, again, you do these things, you're going to feel great. You're going to be in a good, happy mindset. But then there's obviously, there's, there's ways to biohack it. Like I found, for example, that my mind thrives when I'm getting a good amount of choline in my diet, alpha GPC. I supplement alpha GPC. Um, I will consume probiotic rich foods for the serotonin production. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of different things that I take that, that really get my mind in, in a good place. Because even if you do everything possible to live that biological lifestyle, the modern day always has its way of polluting you <laughs> to some capacity. And so you have to find clever ways to do what you can. And it's fun. You know, it, it, it becomes a, a, like a game and you can actually quantify this. So like I used to do a lot of uh, data tracking. Um, so I have, you know, right now I'm wearing a whoop and a Garmin, but they're actually both dead. I just went for a walk and I have to sometimes look the part in case I run into whatever, but uh, I'm actually not, not using data right now because I use, I, I, I have, um, I think data is a good backbone. I think it's an amazing backbone that incentivizes the right changes and, um, you know, behaviors and systems in your life to get you healthier. But I have, I'm now in a place where I am trying to harness more of that intuition. I feel like I've harnessed a lot of intuition. And so I can just wake up in the morning. I can probably guess <laughs> within a small degree of variance where my HRV and recovery scores are at. I can kind of feel my body and I know what's, what kind of movement I should do, what I should be eating. And I like kind of doing that now. So I used to do a lot of, I used to look at data. I used to make this sort of like a game. And I used to try to measure, you know, exactly how much of these inputs I needed to get the perfect hormetic stress. Like I used to, I used to be crazy with that. I use it from time to time now, but intuition for me goes a long way. Um, and when you get to know your physiology, which is the name of my mission, again, know your physio, you realize that there's so many little clever ways, like little things that add up to have a massive impact on your quality of life. 
like just the blue blocking alone, like an amber pair of blue blocking glasses, not the clear ones, but an amber, like that puts you to sleep. And by the way, and I've mentioned this on several podcasts and it's always a pleasant surprise for folks that, that aren't aware of this, but we, we're so rooted in positive reinforcement to the, to the degree where uh, wearing blue blockers in the beginning, all you really get is, well, you block the wavelength of light that inhibits melatonin production. Uh, but over time, you actually classically condition yourself. The glasses become the conditioned stimulus. And so when you put them on, your body knows you're getting ready to go to bed and you start to see, you start to you know get even sleepier. So nowadays I put on my, my raw optics and within five to 10 minutes, I'm like just knocking the fuck out. It's incredible. Um, and you could do this with so many different items and so many different hacks, you know, so it's, it's, I have fun doing it. I think just about everyone can have fun doing it. And yeah, those are my, my, my four pillars, everything else, man, right now in my life, it's pretty simple. I try to keep things very simple. I start with the complex. I've tested almost everything out. I've had all kinds of companies send me all their equipment and their hacks and their supplements and whatever. And I think it's cool, but now at the point where I think a lot of that is gimmicky, I think most of what it takes to feel good. It's free and it's already in your life. You just have to know how and when to use it. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It's actually funny you mentioned because I have my red ones right here. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it's actually really funny you mentioned that, that that happens with the blue blockers and getting like tired almost immediately because that's literally what happens to me. Like even if it's a later than normal, like I got back later than normal last night and I was still, I had my yellow ones on, but um, the red one, I was out like nothing, like 10 minutes. And it's really funny how your physiology is kind of like gets, it, it gets into rhythms and like everyone, I think innately kind of knows that because like for me, like I was never a breakfast person, like pretty much my whole life until I started like eating breakfast or whatever. We can debate like if you need breakfast or whatever context dependent, I don't always eat breakfast, but, um, but like it, when I was trying to sounds dumb because I'm actually not bulky now. I've never really successfully bulked, to be honest with any of you. But there was a time in my life where I was trying to bulk. So I started eating breakfast and I was like, oh man, this is going to suck because like I never eat breakfast. I'm never hungry in the morning. I just started doing it. And then your body just like craves it after a point because you set a new cycle for yourself. So your body is like really, really like fluid. And like they're even saying that now with like neuroplasticity, like you can actually change like your brain like a lot more than people thought. Like they used to think that it was like dead set. I'm sure this stuff that you dive into all the time. But it's super fascinating that you were talking about like as you've practiced things, tracking data had its merits and it still does for certain goals. And I ask people this all the time. It's like, why are you tracking that? Or like, why are you worried about this? Because I found after a point of me tracking things, it was actually me being so hyper-focused on it that it gave me anxiety to like look at my aura numbers in the morning. And after a point, it's like you just get so in tune with your body. Like, you know, if you got oh, yeah. good deep sleep and good REM because you don't feel like crap. And once you get to that, I think that's such a beautiful place to be because that's when you're, you're so, it, you're like, you're so in tune with your own physiology. It's like so many people aren't. So that's why I think like there yeah. is like value to tracking and like obviously performance and stuff like that. It's good to track stuff because like you're trying to achieve specific goals. I think that's valuable for everyone, but it's the best place to be is like when everything's just like clockwork and like uh, Tristan will attest to this too, is like the, the longer you've been in the space and the more you've done, it seems like the simpler things actually get for you. Like you're taking less supplements and it's just like the everyday stuff, like getting up, seeing morning sunlight, 
touching dirt and stuff. It's like these little things that add up, but it's not, I'm not like, I don't have any like crazy, like probably the craziest thing I have is I have a red light over there that I use sometimes, but that's like probably the craziest like biohacking thing I've ever had. Um, but yeah, that's like simplicity is everything at the end of the day. And I, it's, yeah. it's sort of like not getting lost in the noise. And I'll kind of let Tristan chime in on this because I know he has something he wants to say. But it's just in general, it's, well, it's fascinating, right? Cause we're all, we've all been in this space for at least a few years and now we've arrived at this point. Why is that the case? Because we've tried a lot of this shit and what moves the needle the most is foundational lifestyle habits that are free or no added cost. I mean, you can make the argument that like eating higher quality foods is slightly higher cost, but going outside, moving, you know, I mean, a pair of blue light blocking glasses, you don't even have to buy that. I don't even use them in the summer. I sure have just don't, I don't even turn on the lights. In the winter, obviously it gets dark at like four o'clock. I'm going to have to use some more protection. Um, but yeah, it's it's really easy, I think, when you first get in this space to be attracted to this glamour that is pills, supplements, gadgets. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool stuff. It's like, wow, like, you know, some of these devices can, you know, reconfigure your brain waves or, you know, put you in a more uh, parasympathetic state or, you know, there's all these crazy things out there. And yeah, it's fascinating. And technology has its place, probably more so for, you know, extreme cases and a short period of time. But what's going to move the needle the most for like your everyday long-term health is, yeah, they're, they're mostly free. So I, I'm curious, I'm, I'm assuming, obviously you've, you've thought the same things, but do you notice that being like a trend in general? Or do you think that's just what happens after you've been in the space for like four or five years? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked that question. For my own I don't know sake, the answer. I wanted, I wanted to actually make the transition to that point. And so you asked the perfect question. And I would say, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, all these free things that are already in our lives, uh, what do they have in common is that they're easy to adhere to. Once you understand, they actually do have a profound effect. And when you understand that what has the most profound effect is consistency. And if you have the most, if the, like, like I'll give you an example. When I was tracking my data and I was absolutely obsessed, sometimes I wouldn't charge it like before bed. And so I would literally stay up charging this fucking device <laughs> like it's so stupid so Mental. so that's just one example of like like what are you doing you know just just get good sleep wake up be a little more intuitive um and all of these you know yeah a lot of these things are, are are free to do now all right so to answer your question i do think a lot of people because they already are sort of used to this instant gratification let's say let's face it just our phones and notification online, like it just kind of puts you in that mindset. And so it's almost inevitable. But when you're already in that mindset and then you look at health because let's say, I don't know, inevitably again, you've you've brought yourself to a disease state or just a poor mental health state. Now you want the same thing. You want health, but you want instant gratification health. And so all these brilliant marketing tools and 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 campaigns, they lure you in the direction that, all right, you want health, all right, you got to buy this product, you got to buy the supplement. You know, they're feeding off of people that are in a way desperate. Um, so I think that, look, maybe that'll lure you in, but eventually what you'll learn is that in fact, the free lifestyle changes that you can make, and sometimes they have a small cost, right? Like eating healthier food, 
let's just face it, it's not necessarily more expensive. It's that the other food that you're eating is just really cheap. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people that eat cheap food, but then they go out every night, they spend a hundred dollars on drinks and getting into the club, right? So it's just a matter of, of uh, the way that you think about this, it's a matter of priority, it's a matter of uh, delaying gratification. And sure, maybe you'll go into this for, for because it looks sexy and it looks gimmicky, but I think a lot of people do. And, and, and by the way, I hope, not only do they, but I, I hope that everyone ends up believing in the systems and in the lifestyle change. So look, I've worked with every, everything from a World Series of Poker finalists that win $4 million payouts for playing poker to uh, a billionaire board member of Airbnb to the number five uh, female tennis player in the world and the best Canadian tennis player of all time uh, to Le Mans second place race card. I mean, I've worked with all kinds of high performers and these high performers, they, they, they approach me for the data, for the gimmicks, for the hacks, you know, Oh, I want to improve by my HRV by 10%. Like, dude, <laughs> no, you don't. You just want to wake up feeling more refreshed and more recovered. You want to be a little sharper when you're racing your car. Um, so anyway, a lot of people do come for those reasons. And I, and I, and look, I honor that. I love that. Get curious. But if you're here because you think that instant gratification, which is the root of evil <laughs> in a lot of ways, is going to help you get healthier, you're wrong. So come on in, but I'm going to show you real gratification, genuine, long-term satisfaction and fulfillment. All right? So I'm going to hold your hand and we'll do it together. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> hope, if, if there's anything that I said that's valuable in this podcast, I hope that that's it because <laughs> instant gratification is just the absolute biggest killer. And by the way, yeah, I, this, is, this wasn't part of the question, but I do want to, if I can, I want to take you guys through my phone settings to, to oh, mitigate yeah. the effects of instant gratification and, and you know, just having a better relationship and more intentional use of my phone. So um, maybe we can at, at some point transition there. That sounds cool. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, that's the biggest issue for a lot of us, I would say. Um, yeah. But it's so true. I, I and I know we want to get to some some other things as well. But like, it's all that glamour that really does draw people in, and it's fascinating to think about the higher performers because they just they think it's too simple to be that effective. Actually, I probably yeah, and they think they're missing Very out well on something and. They need to be doing stem cells or whatever, you know, crazy thing. But in general, 99.9% of people are not, they're not doing the fundamentals well enough. They might be doing them, like they might be going to sleep at a certain time, but like they're not doing the fundamentals well enough. And if they just did those like 40%, I don't know, you could call it more strict, but more biologically consistent is probably better then they get more of a profound effect. So I'm glad you shared that because I I think it's underrated. And especially people are always looking to the really high performance performers for like what the hell they're doing. That's like super crazy or out there when if you just did, like if you just lived in accordance with, uh, you know, your biology and, and nature a bit more, you'd probably be just better off. Yeah. Yeah, for real. But with that, personal responsibility one thing that i love that you do is spearfishing slash harvesting <laughs> your own food um yeah. it's something to me as a you know i've gone into hunting uh the past year and a half and it's coming up now season really what, stoked uh, about season? it 
Yeah, uh, yeah, elk just in general hunting oh, season. Man. Yeah, that's on my it bucket just, list, man. Bow hunting and elk is like top tier bucket list. And I got, and yeah, I, go I just got it. a bow, <laughs> oh, dude. But well, who knows? But it's probably too early for a bow this year. But that's you know, I got an elk last year. I was super stoked. First ever hunting trip. But that kind of personal responsibility of harvesting your own food is is really to me one of the most admirable things you could do. But then the spear fishing, uh, free diving that you do, that's like, you, it's so badass to me as well because <laughs> you're literally funny. underwater. And, you know, we've talked to folks like Erwin LaCour who's talking about breath hold work and how free yeah. divers and spear fishermen, you know, you have this insane ability to go underwater, control that sympathetic response. And it's actually so great for your health, of course, being able to deal with that from a nervous system perspective. Then at the same time, you're also, you know, having to control, um, you know, your your brain to be able to accurately shoot a target and swimming yeah. underwater, cold water. I don't know the water temperature there. Maybe it's warm, but walk us through that. Is that something you always have done? How did you get into this? And like, what's it all about? Because I love it. If you can't tell by the smile on my face, I love spearfishing. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you what, shooting fish and bringing it home and making a nice dinner that's obviously a huge bonus but most of the benefit and the, well the reason why I love it is because of the adventure and the sense of camaraderie and how primitive it is to be among other people that are driven on this pursuit to like hunt it's like if you want to talk about evolutionarily preserved mechanisms like being a hunter and a gatherer it's in every single one of us whether you gather plants and you all you eat is plants or you shoot elk every season like it's inside of you and if you can find the format that allows you to reveal and unleash that you're going to be even more human and so i have had the chance to experience every single emotion spearfishing most of that is joy and pleasure um and um also very difficult times and well ending up in the emergency room for two or three days in, in the hospital under close observation because I had a lung trauma harvesting a grouper 70 feet deep on one breath um, and spending three years paying that off. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And like you said, you know, sometimes I, uh, when I tell people about, about spearfishing, I don't consider some of the things that you mentioned, which is, yeah, I mean, not only do you have to be aware of the environment, but in being aware, you have to be calm and then you have to line up a shot, right? And it's like how, like, it's, it's, it's millimeters and milliseconds that make the difference, you know? Um, and I think that it's an environment and a, and, and a way of life where I get to take everything that I know to the extreme. And I love that. I love seeing how far my applied breathwork techniques can go, not only in helping me prepare to dive down deep, but to, you know, what am I doing on the boat between dives so that I don't spend all my energy on the first couple of spots, you know, cause we were out there sometimes the entire day doing a hundred dives, you know, between 30 and 80 feet deep, you know, um, hunting fish. So it's the most intense. And then by the way, you know, you have to get back, clean the fish, carry all the gear, go back home, clean everything up. It's like, it's, it's exhausting. Um, you're doing endurance work, you're doing strength and power, you're holding your breath. 
uh, there's not a lot of science behind like in every sport above, you know, on, on land, you can, you know, be, I guess, a little more intuitive about your breathing because you're not holding your breath. Like when you're holding your breath, it just adds a whole nother layer of complexity to everything. Um, but I'll tell you what, and this is going to sound cheesy. And it's something that many free divers and spear fishermen will say when you can really harness that awareness with your body, calm yourself down and be, you know, get into that flow state where nothing else matters and you're totally present, you actually forget to breathe. And it's when you're deep in that water and you're so calm, you just, you did everything right. You're so calm. That's when the surrounding life gets curious and approaches you. So like as a good hunter, and by the way, this is true to underwater hunting as much as it is for hunting elk, you know, on a mountain. It's like when you're super calm and you're super relaxed, you're a part of that ecosystem and life approaches you. And that is something that is, there's no words to express how beautiful and how rewarding that is. And then, hey, if you so choose, take a shot, bring that animal home and tell the story of how it all came together among people that you love and enjoy that amazing food that the universe, God, whatever you pray to or whatever you believe in provided you with. Um, so I live for those moments, man. I live for those moments and, you know, you can say, all right, well, yeah, you're traveling all over the world, you know, raising your carbon footprint, going on planes to hunt this one fish as a trophy and putting it on Instagram, like whatever, you know, like people are always going to complain. Yeah. I burn fossil fuels to get to Panama to hunt a big snapper, but it's not about that. It's not about taking a good picture for Instagram. It's about having a sense of adventure in this modern day where let's face it, like most of our adventure is waking up and going to work and like, I want to feel human and I'm sorry that that's what it takes to feel human nowadays. Get upset about it all you want. I'm here living life and enjoying that with so many people that I love. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and yeah, man, there's nothing, there's nothing like spearfishing. There's nothing like hunting. Um, but I think it always has to have that kind of sense of love, awareness, and appreciation for your environment, whether you kill something or not. That's cool, man. That's rad. I'm I'm like hyped off that already. It's funny because it's like I've never really been, I've never personally like hunted anything. That's a lie. Never legally hunted anything. Um, <laughs> you shot a but, squirrel in the backyard or something? Yeah, yeah. My grandparents have a cabin up in northern Michigan and we would shoot stuff up there all the time. And like my grandpa would usually make us eat it. Um, but but there is something else to it. I actually really liked that line you said. It was like when you're underwater, sometimes you forget to breathe because that actually was a really reminiscent memory of mine. So recently, Tristan, I guess recently is is, is not necessarily recent, but Tristan was hanging out um, up at my house one time and we have a pool and he was showing me some breathwork stuff underwater, like how to relax your body and like hold your breath longer. I Granted, I, I so I sucked butt at this. I was like the worst, never couldn't figure it out. But um, it reminded me of when I was a kid, my family had a pool. And I remember distinctly, there were periods of time where I would go underwater, just hanging out, swimming around. And I never felt like I needed to take a breath. And I can't yeah. say that I was under there for like minutes at a time, because it probably wasn't as long as I remember it being. But I remember being under there and like, not thinking about it, but I must have been so relaxed. Yeah, Because I remember like, I was on there for like, longer than I could do now. And I would come up even, and I wouldn't even need to gasp. 
It would just be like yeah. a normal, like even a shallow breath. And that's just, it's just a, such a profound feeling. I remember it very distinctly. Like it, it's insane. So the, I actually wanted to ask you a quick question about like breathwork techniques and how to like get into stuff like that, because yeah. obviously you've been doing really well. So what, what were some initial steps you took when you were like starting to get into like free dive and stuff? Like what are some breath techniques that you can practice like that anyone could do? Like I'm a fan of box breathing and stuff like that, but I'd love oh, to yeah. expand my horizons. Yeah, and I'll I'll say first uh, that's that's an interesting uh, anecdote that you just shared. Um, I find that I, I mean I'm assuming that the reason why it may be tougher now is because either you know maybe you're stressed about something else or you know whatever. Like I'll, I'll I'll give you this example when I'm on the boat and I'm spearfishing. Like for me, that's a total disconnect. But I find that if I have a very intense week and I'm still hanging on to a lot of that stress, I'm not diving anywhere close to where how I want to dive. Like my breath holds suck. Like I'm tired. Like and and it's because well what happens when we we're stressed out the first thing that goes is our breathing but we there's a, there's a you know breath breathing breath work breathing whatever you want to call it it's the most accessible way to influence your physiology because it's what gives you air or oxygen and helps you effectively run away from stressor like our stress response is linked to running away i mean that's just how we spent most of our evolutionary history you know we had to run away from <laughs> sorry had to run away from, you know, adverse conditions like climate or just, just one sec, just one sec. Sorry. You're good. You're good. So yeah, Jose, you can cut out the dead space here. All right. So anyway, uh, there's a really important link between our state of physiological stress and you know, effectively running away from that stressor because it's just something that we had to do when we were stressed out, when we were, when we felt like we were um, being threatened, you know, we could get away, we could run away. And so nowadays what happens is we still have the same response, but we don't need to run away. Um, but we can still modify the response that is helping us run away to deal with the stress in that moment. So, um, you know, nowadays we get stressed and a couple of things happen. Obviously rise in cortisol, we get the fight or flight, you know, our pupils dilate, our hands get sweaty. Uh, we get, you know, less blood going into the core and more to the extremities to prepare us to, 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 to get away. Our blood glucose levels rise. So it prepares us. It gives us the fuel, the substrate that we need to get away. So when we're, when all this is happening, when you're stressed out nowadays, like how do we survive nowadays? We have to sit on our laptops and get work done. Maybe we'll get a paycheck, right? Well, we still have the same stress response, but we're not moving. And so it's killing us. We get in, uh, this buildup of inflammation. We get, you know, this glucose variability that is, that is hurting us. Our breathing goes, we start mouth breathing because mouth breathing is the fastest way to breathe. It's like an emergency breathing, but it's not the most effective. It's not the most efficient. Nasal breathing is. And not only is it nasal breathing, but if you nasal breathe naturally, by the way, if you if you isolate the rest of the body, just your, just your face, nasal breathing already is going to humidify the air better, filter the air better. You're going to get an increase in nitric oxide, which is antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal, antiviral. Um, and you start to see more of this, you know, parasympathetic activity starts to calm the nervous system. Then all of a sudden you see the rising and falling of the chest, right? And I'll make the link to spearfishing in a second and free diving in a second. If you're nasal breathing, but you're still getting a rising and falling of the chest, you're using primarily the upper part of the lungs to breathe. But the highest concentration of alveoli where oxygen exchange occurs in the lungs is actually in, at, in the bottom of the lungs. And so if you are nasal breathing, and by the way, uh, 
uh, Jack, David Jacko Jackson taught me this. He's an oxygen advantage uh, master trainer. When you breathe through your nose, don't just breathe into the, don't just breathe through the nose, but breathe into your face rather than up into the nostril. So if you've been to a yoga class, you'll notice that the beginners, the beginner yogis, when they tell them to take a deep breath, they go, you know, that's like absolutely wrong. You want to take a shallow, slow breath into the face and it should be so soft, so um, uh, intentional that you don't see any movement in the, in, in the shoulders or in the traps because you're using your belly to breathe. The vagus nerve goes down to the belly. It's right below the diaphragm. And so when you belly breathe, you get more vagus nerve activity, more parasympathetic activity. And if you start to then extend the exhales on top of that, so you spend about twice as long exhaling versus inhaling, every exhale, you get slightly more parasympathetic activity. Every inhale is more sympathetic. So when you inhale, you're like preparing your body to run away. When you exhale, you're like telling your body it's okay. So quite literally, I will do like a 478, I think is a really good one. I forget who coined 478, but I love 478 because you're spending eight seconds exhaling, four seconds inhaling. The seven in between is a seven second hold. And you hold your breath, it actually helps calm you down slightly. You don't want to hold it too long and you can actually build up over time your CO2 tolerance, makes it easier. But when you hold your breath slightly, you get a, a cardio inhibitory effect. So you actually uh, s- help slow down the heart rate. So four, seven, eight, one really. So four, seven, eight, one, meaning four seconds in, seven second hold, eight seconds exhaling. You're exhaling so slow, by the way, that if you had a candle right in front of your face, you wouldn't blow it out. And then you hold that for one second and then repeat. I typically do this um, the night before. If, 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 if I'm going to bed and I have a lot of my mind, I'll do this breathwork technique uh, before a big meeting or a big podcast or any kind of engagement where I feel a little, maybe a little anxious or just a little too like overactive uh, when I'm on the boat getting ready to dive. And then in the water, there's a ton of techniques. I'm not going to get into them only because I don't want anyone tuning in or even you guys to dive, to take free diving seriously until you take a free diving course that actually teaches you the anatomy and physiology of breathing specific to that environment. Because otherwise it's an extremely extreme, I mean, even with the training, it's still objectively an extremely dangerous sport. And so what I just described is simple breathwork pattern that anybody tuning in can do to immediately modify their stress response and be a more um, intentional about their decision-making, their reaction, uh, anything, you know, because you're regulating the response that is otherwise going to help you run away. When Nowadays, we don't need to run away. We need to just deal with what we're dealing with effectively. So bring oxygen, bring energy, bring intuition, bring mindfulness um, in such a way that gives you that effective decision-making. Um, and then I'll leave the rest for your freediving class. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do a lot of this when I, as I get ready to dive. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, one last thing I'll say, just because I thought of it during the thing when we were talking about why potentially I was able to hold my breath longer in that moment as a child. I think actually, like I, I've noticed this a lot. Is like as you get older, I feel like stress builds just because you have more responsibility and life starts to hit you a little bit, and the real world yeah. becomes like real. And what was interesting is like I, I sort of have been trying to do this thing where I take a take a. I'm taking a note from Picasso who like said it took him a lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. I'm sort of trying to like wow. regain that free mindset of a child because that's when I remember being the most, and this is probably universal for a lot of people, remember being the most most free, the most carefree, the most like 
like the things that you worried about, like seem so insignificant now, but I, I really try to like, I, I feel like I'm really, I don't know. It's finding that inner child. I feel like that's super important. I think that's like part of the journey for everyone is like sort of finding that freedom for themselves. Yeah. When trusting when that you're in the water, note. that probably is when you, I appreciate sharing that when you're, when you're in the, in the ocean and you're in your wetsuit, you know, maybe you have a gun on you, you don't, uh, your fins, whatever. When you're in that environment and you see how much life there is in there, man, you become a child. You're like a child because you're just like, everything is like, the biggest surprise and is just so intensely alive uh, and it's so unexpected. And I think that honestly helps me get in touch with my childlike self, which I think is to your point, extremely important. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I mean, anytime I'm kind of in the wilderness, I think you just kind of, well, you're tuning out, like you're saying, it's a complete disconnect which is why I value things like this, camping, hiking, backpacking, hunting so heavily because it's so easy to be distracted, to be, you know, just getting assaulted, for lack of a better word, from all direction in the modern world, in an everyday situation. But when you have this disconnect, you can really take in the environment that's around you. And I think, yeah, then you can turn on that, that inner child, that inner curiosity, that profound movement of how you feel when you see wildlife, when you see just scenery, like yeah. whether it's a, a really cool feature in the water or in the mountains. And, and that's awesome. But I'm curious, you know, is, is spearfishing like what is the, is this something that's growing in popularity, decreasing? Like, is there a risk of this completely being wiped out, like in certain areas in a few years? Because I talk a lot about hunting in general with my friends and, you know, like elk hunting, for example, in Wyoming in 30 to 50 years, who knows what that looks like and maybe only be for rich people. I mean, we keep getting higher in population yeah. and animal population. You know, if we don't change the way we manage our, our wildlife, our ecosystems, um, you know, it's not going to be looking really great for hunters in the future. So is this something that you're concerned about? Is there like a large conservation effort surrounding spear fishing as well that's ongoing? Because I feel like that's usually the case with the, you know, the good hunters is, is they're trying to simultaneously be conservationists. Yeah, that's a great question and a great topic. Um, I'm not an expert in this topic. Um, frankly, I don't think I'm an expert in any topic. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I think um, at, from what I understand here in Florida, there is there's an important community of, of food average spear fishermen. It's relatively small. I mean, I think spear fishing is still pretty small. And I think that uh, the barrier of entry and the barrier of responsibility turns a lot of people off naturally, you know. As cool as it sounds, not everyone's going to do it or want to invest in it. Like, you know, when I'm, by the way, you can do it with minimal gear and spend a couple hundred bucks. But when I'm going out with my buddies, you know, we're each wearing like two, three thousand dollars worth of gear. And sometimes you end up losing some of it because you get sharked or something breaks or it falls off the boat. Um, so I think that's one barrier of entry. Uh, obviously, you either need a boat or you need someone, you need to know someone with a boat or you need to get a kayak. But even then, it's still, sketchy. 
Um, so the community is growing. People are getting into it. It's growing very quickly now with social media since people just want to take cool pictures. And so they want to do whatever it takes to get a cool picture. Um, it is definitely growing. In fact, my dad, you know, he started doing this when he was about uh, 20 years old. And back then it was like tiny, 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 tiny. Nowadays, you know, I'll, I'll go to conventions with him and well, they're conventions. Like there's thousands of people there, you know, and they love it. So it is growing a lot, but it's still compared to other sports, uh, relatively small. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, the environment is being threatened, not just by the spear fishermen, but um, by all the boating and the pollution. The good thing is that and I'm sure that we have this in common with, you know, people like you, you know, who are out there on the, in the wilderness hunting, you know, we are very, because we have such a deep connection with the environment, um, we're actually very conscious of things that might pollute it. So, you know, when I'm with my Spiro friends and we see trash in the water, we will always pick it up no matter what, to the extent that sometimes it ends up being like a, it'll take us hours and hours and hours to get like a fishing net off of a reef. And and that'll be like a whole day fishing. Like we'll come up on a, like, that's what, that's what we'll do that day. You know? So we really take that seriously. Um, spear fishing is from what I understand. And again, this is where I'm, I'm not an expert. I don't know if this is a hundred percent factual, but from what I understand, from what I know, it's the single most selective and sustainable fish harvesting method that exists. So by definition, it is sustainable, but then, all right, boating around all day long is not very healthy for the environment either. So I guess, look, like I try to think that I'm conscious of the environment, but I think that right there is the problem because I can't fully answer the question to the extent of, well, what efforts are being made besides me with, in terms of policy in, you know, this local area. Like I think that the most dangerous thing is, is, is ignorance. And if you think that you're doing the right thing, but you're killing the environment at the same time, like that's, that's a real problem. So I, uh, well, actually, to help answer this question better, maybe the next time that you guys have me on the show, I can give you, um, I can elaborate further. What I'll do is I'll have an expert on my podcast and we'll have a conversation about it. Seriously, I mean it. Because as you can yeah. tell, it requires the right knowledge to do right by the environment because you may have the best intention, but if, if you don't actually have the knowledge, and this goes back to every conversation that we've had, if you have a good intention, but you don't have the right knowledge to go with it, you're not going to get very far. So I need to be educated on this topic. I think that FWC, Florida Wildlife Conservation, does a pretty good job. They are very strict. I've seen people like go to jail and have to pay ridiculous, I mean, honestly, not ridiculous, but impressive fees because they're just not aware of whatever's in season or what's the size limit. Me and my friends were always super conscious. The best day of the year for us is May 1st, the opening of grouper and, and hogfish season. You know, so we know the sizes, we know the the what's in season, what isn't. We're very aware of that. We only kill what we're gonna eat, we only eat what we kill. We get one nice fish a day, that's enough for us. But there's a lot of people that just shoot whatever. They don't give a fuck, and it's a shame, but there's always gonna be those people. I think eventually, you know, and hopefully karma bites them in the ass, but I think that there has to be more mainstream education on what the everyday person can do to improve. Uh, well, their relationship to the environment. So, yeah, so yeah, no, want to learn more about. No, that's a great response. I mean, that's kind of what I was looking for. It, you know, I'm not an expert on 
uh, conservation of ruminant animals, wildlife, but I know, you know, like hunting tags pay for like so much, for example, and I'm sure fishing yeah. licenses yeah, fishing also licenses pay do, for in fact. Yeah, they do. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's kind of that obviously, you know, if you're trolling fish in, in the middle of the ocean, like you're, that's like the real problem. Um, just dragging everything off the bottom of the ground or bottom of the ocean and yeah, fishing nets, large scale commercial fishing. That's, that's where the real damage is being done. So I, I would agree with you. I, I think it's definitely a sustainable way. Obviously there's, you know, some issues with boating. That's kind of, it is what it is, but that's, you know, we drive cars every day and yeah, you can't, it's you just, can't do everything perfect exactly. all the time. Um, I try, I imagine, I, I like to imagine that I'm doing the best I can, but I know there's always room for improvement and that's just my ego talking. Um, but I'll tell you what, when I'm on the, when we're on the boat with my friends, we're very, very conscious of what we're doing and, and we do our best to clean everything up. And you want to be, you're incentivized too, right? Like this is the whole reason, um, that the incentives are so important because if you do good by the environment, you know, that's going to be there for you. It's going to be there for yeah. maybe your kids, your grandkids. Mm-hmm. And the problem is when you get, you know, people who are just paying a shit ton of money, they're just coming here one time, they don't really care and they just want a trophy or take a picture. It's yeah, yeah. Th- those incentives are misaligned. And I think that can be said for a lot of types of hunting, but it's really cool because yeah, not a lot of people are doing this. I think it takes uh, clearly a large amount of skill training and mental fortitude. And and so does, you know, other types of hunting, but then other types of hunting, lower barrier to entry. They all have some expense. But yeah, it's cool because it is very decentralized to catch your own food. And that I can align with you very well. Catch like my and favorite cooking and cooking. cooking. Yes, that was what I was about to get to. It's like yeah. when you prepare, well, not always because... I'm sure you make uh, some uh, ceviche out of that too. Um, <laughs> preparing, and I make well, elk tartare. Enzymes cook the flesh. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You're right. Yeah, but the acidity in the lemons cooks the flesh. Technically, sharing that meal with you know people you love. I mean, that's like the ultimate thing, right there. And and it's I never get more excited than when I prepare like elk for family and friends, loved ones. And I'll yeah, tell you I, a, I, a cool story actually um, that goes hand in hand with this. A conservation sustainability uh, effort. So I, one of the best fish that I've ever shot was a, a big African pompano, which by the way, you, you can't get it in stores. You can't get it in restaurants. Um, you have to be three miles, at least three miles offshore to harvest one. You can only harvest one per person per day. They're very sought after. They're very rare. Uh, they're not very easy to hunt. And so I shot an incredible one. Maybe I can pull up a picture and show it on the video real quick. Um, or when you guys edit this, I'll send you the picture. You can post it. Um, incredible fish, huge fish, maybe like 35. Jesus Christ. Just a second. One second, sorry. Nikki. It's like 35 or 40 pounds. And um, the head on that fish was so big. The head on the fish was so big that we put it in the oven, just the head, took it out, and half of the meat on the head fed the three of us. Like we were full. We were totally full. And most people, most restaurants, what do they do? They take the fillets out and they discard the head, the tail. We had the spine. The, the spine of this fish was so big that we ate the bone marrow on, uh, on it. We ate everything on the head. We uh, got the, uh, the, the fins nice and crispy and we ate them like potato chips. I mean, that might sound nasty to some people, but it was delicious. 
Um, I'll show you guys a picture of the fish. And I just looked it up. It looks crazy. Um, yeah, that head is massive. Here. You guys, that's oh yeah. And I'm not pushing. That's, that's sitting on my lap. I'm not pushing it. That's forward. huge. Yeah. Yeah, but here's let me show you the head on that fish. And again, some you know, I'm sure I have people shitting on me now going, oh, he's showing his trophies, you know, whatever. Well, you ate it. Well, so. you ate them, yeah. They're- <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I see that, but anyway, um, yeah, and, and look, you know, I vacuum seal it, and that'll last me weeks. Like when mm-hmm. I took my trip to Mexico, uh, we came back, we had these like soft coolers that we brought on the plane, and each, it was my buddy and I, we, we each brought back like 40 pounds of fish vacuum sealed. Wow. It lasted us months, months. You know, no going to and from the store, uh, whatever, you know, the trucks, not only do you have to go to the store to get the fish, but the trucks bring it in for, or the planes from wherever else in the world. I mean, we did that one time for like, I don't know how many dinners I can't even count. So that felt pretty good. Yeah. I mean, like what, uh, elk, I mean, Tristan, you shot your elk in October last year. I had some in June. I mean, I have some like right now still. Yeah, <laughs> I've been yeah. a little conservative, but you know, yeah, yeah, I can last you a long time. That's funny. I feel actually bad telling my story about killing birds and stuff as a kid, not especially <laughs> hunting and conserving the land. I felt bad yeah. after I did it every single time, just so the audience yeah. knows. I felt bad, but then I did it again. So I don't know. Does that make me a mass murderer? I don't. No, I, don't I mean, look, there, there's there's times where I'm underwater and and I have a connection with the fish, like. You know, maybe a, maybe I'm hunting a, specific, a particular species, but I'm so calm that it gets so curious and friendly with, and I'm just like, man, do I really like? I'll kill another one, man. Like, like you know, like sometimes you have to let them go. Um, yeah. And there's times where you know, it just for whatever reason it doesn't feel doesn't feel right to to kill a particular fish. And sometimes I do feel so honestly. Some of my friends would make fun of me for this, but there's sometimes where I honestly feel bad. Um, but when you're with the right people, you're there for the right reasons, you're very mindful, you're very calm, you're going to feel very good about whatever you kill and it's going to feel very good to enjoy that with your friends and family. Oh, it's definitely it's definitely better when something goes to a positive use, I mean, other than just like sport per se. So I, I did actually have one last question here for those of you that made it this far. You're, gonna, you're in for a treat because I think it'll be a good answer. Um, we were talking about fish and you can watch fish if you want, on your phone, um, on YouTube probably. And earlier, uh, Andre, was he was mentioning uh, phone settings and the phone settings he has optimized for sleep and dopamine. So I wanted to ask you that question again really quick, make that harsh yes. transition. Yeah, I do have to run, but I'm going to take you through the, 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 the settings that I have on my phone. It's an iPhone, by the way. If you have an Android, I don't know. I, Maybe I'll make an article for that, or maybe you can go upgrade to an iPhone. <laughs> I'm yeah. just kidding. All right. So a uh, couple things. First of all, instant notifications, they're the end of productivity. So first thing is you go to notification settings. You can do this on any phone. And turn off 90% of them, if not more. Like there's no, and, and by the way, the most important ones that you need to have off are social media notifications. There is no reason why you should care if someone posts something on social media. Or if someone messaged you or liked your picture, if you're that desperate for attention or to be on top, like, like you can put that energy somewhere else. Um, 
not to shit on people that have those on, but like kind of to shit on them because there's no reason why you need to be distracted. If you're if you're doing something Agreed. important, or something meaningful, there's no reason why social media should be distracting you. And even one little notification could take you out of a flow that could change your fucking life. So turn 90% of them off. The only things that I have on are like, by the way, also um, this goes hand in hand with another setting, which is uh, my, uh, what is it called? Um, do not disturb. My do not disturb is on 24 hours. Only five people can actually call me and it'll go through. You can do this on any iPhone, on pretty much any phone nowadays. So it's like my mom, my dad, my brother, my girlfriend, and like my, one of my business partners. That's it. Everybody else, it just it silences the first time they have to call me twice to get my attention or they have to send me a, a voicemail or a text message. So I have that on. Um, uh, going back to the notifications, I have my messages off. I have everything except like my parking notifications because I'm in Miami Beach and if you get towed, you're fucked. So my parking notifications and um, yeah, like a couple other things, I don't know, random little, I don't know, work things. Anyway, that's, 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 the, that's the first one. Turn off 90% of them, especially social media. The next thing is if you unlock my phone, no, unlock it, it's my dog. All right, so I have this. This is my home screen. It's my business QR code, a little like journaling app, my tasks, my notes, and my calendar. If you go right, it's just you have to search. You have to manually search the app that you want to use. What does that mean? Well, let's face it. When we go on our phones, if you have like a crazy busy screen of like full of apps and stuff, you're just going to get bored. You're going to start checking everything. You're going to go in. You're going to be like, why did I even go on my phone? You know? Fuck that. That should never happen. You should be intentional with this magic device that gives you access to the entire world. You can do anything you want in your life if you have a phone. Anything you want to be, anything you want to do, you can do it with the the phone. So be intentional with it. So I have to manually search the apps that I want to use. All of a sudden, way better. All right. The next biggest thing, this is like the biggest hack of this year for me. Honestly, biggest mental health hack that I've discovered all year. I mean this. I'm not making this up. This is not a paid advertisement. This is genuine is this app called OneSec. So this is the, the, the home screen there. But I'll give you an example. When I go on Instagram, it has these interventions. It makes me pause. And then when this intervention, sometimes it has me like take my finger and, and follow the screen. Six times in the past 24 hours, this says, I don't want to go on Instagram or continue. So all of a sudden you're like, wow, like I'm okay, I'm going on Instagram. You know, it's not like an automatic whatever. Continue. Why are you going on Instagram? Are you bored? Are you angry? Are you taking a shit? <laughs> are you are you actually doing it to work? So this has some kind of weird algorithm built into it where it compares your screen time before the app and then during, and it counts the interventions because when it asks when it proposes the question, sometimes you'll deny it and you go, no, no, like I don't want to go on Instagram. Like, what am I doing? Anyway, it actually tells you how many hours you've saved throughout the week. And in my case, a a, a ridiculous amount of hours. Like like stupid amount of hours. And let's like, all right, now I can focus on the things that actually matter, right? So those are the top three or four. The next thing would be um, the night shift. So I have the night shift set up so that uh, as soon as the sun goes down, my phone turns yellow. Even then there's still some blue wavelength. You want to still wear the the, the uh, blue blockers. I also have another one where if I tap three times, Shit, I'm clicking both buttons at the same time. 
the screen goes gray. That's another cool one. But uh, look, the notifications, the home screen, the one sec app alone, those are enough to change your life and your relationship with your phone. So I'll leave it at that. I think if everyone does that, they're going to be they're going to be doing at least one percent more meaningful work, and that alone is enough to change your life. It's enough to change the trajectory of your career, and it's enough to change the world. I think we're spending too much time on our phones doing dumb shit. So hopefully that helps. And with that said, Amen, I, do brother. Get, I do have to get going, you guys. But it's been a huge honor and a pleasure, and. Um, I would love to repost this on my show if if, if that's appropriate. Absolutely. We'd out. be honored. And yeah, this is, yeah, we've gone a bit over. It's perfect timing to wrap up. I think those are impactful phone tips. I just installed that app, even though I have timers, but we can always do better. I love your you know thought process behind biologically consistent. I love the positive you know, just energy you bring. It's contagious. It's always exciting to talk to someone with similar age, similar mindset, making a difference in the space. So we appreciate you, brother. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. And thanks for everyone for tuning in to another episode of Decentralized Radio. We'll catch you next time. It's been a huge honor, you guys. You guys are crushing it. Thank you for giving me uh, an opportunity to share my love, my passion, my energy. Uh, I can't thank you enough and absolutely made this an even more epic day by far. So I can't wait to repost the share with my audience and give you guys a shout out and eventually have you guys on my show. So you guys can bring your love, your passion and your energy to my eyes as well. 